stocks, bonds, ETFs, straight out of downtown Chicago. This is Zach's Market Edge. Welcome to Zach's Market Edge, the podcast about investing in your life. I'm your host, Tracy Reinick, and this week I'm joined by Zach's Director of Research, Shiraz Mian, for our favorite topic, the energy stocks. As most of you know, Shiraz is a former oil analyst way back in the day, so we've been espousing on the energy stocks for the past three years on this podcast, and I think our initial crude discussion was all the way back in December of I think it was 2015, Shiraz, oh, wow. was when we initially did it. And then we've been uh, doing quite a few shows. There there have been a couple false bottoms <laughs> where we've been on here saying, yes, it's going to turn by the end of the year. And then it seemingly didn't. And then, then crude finally did, but then the stocks didn't. And then they were at 52-week lows again in early 2018, even while crude was rising. But now, now Shiraz, in May of 2018, it looks like this sector is finally rebounding. That's right. So, yeah. I mean, where does that put us in terms of what investors should be looking at? Because every time on the show, we've been giving like, this is where you want to buy recommendations <laughs> throughout all these years. And I feel like our recommendations are going to change this time sure. versus what we were saying even a year ago. Sure. Because there's certain things you want to be in when energy's on um, the rebound sure. and certain ones you don't want to be in. That's right. So let's talk a little bit about what we're, why we're getting this rebound, what's happening with crude. I mean, it's up over $70 now. That's right. Is some of that because the OPEC cuts are holding yes. and what's going on in Venezuela? Yes, all of the above. Okay. The, uh, when, when OPEC came out with its cuts, OPEC plus Russia, the global supply situation, uh, which typically gets measured through the OECD crude oil inventories, it was off the charts. So they have a five-year high-low range, the International Energy Agency and the U.S. Energy Information Administration tracks those data, and, and it comes out on the weekly basis. And the, uh, the supply situation for crude was above the five-year average. So that was the environment in which they cut back exports and production. It has taken them a very long time. Yeah. Uh, but the most recent data shows that the days of supply for OECD commercial inventories is 60 days worth of, uh, of crude in the system, which is smack in the middle of the five-year average for inventories. Uh, this time last year, it was around 66, 67 days of supply. The low for this time of the year has been around 58, 59 days. So a big reason for the momentum we signed crude oil was the removal of these excess oil barrels that resulted from what OPEC and Russia was able to do. The Venezuela thing has been yeah. a totally unexpected, it's hard to call it a windfall for the industry, but it has turned out like that. They don't seem to know what they are trying to do. The, right. the, whole, the whole country seems to be imploding. Yeah. And uh, with the election now, uh, it appears that the instability will will, will only uh, get worse. And then we all, obviously, we have the evolving Iran right. sanctions yeah. issue, which is a, a big source of uncertainty for the market as well. So overall, yeah. the supply situation 
has either notably improved or there are questions and concerns that it could tighten even further. Okay. And what about that story that is seemingly making its way around everywhere that the Saudis are insistent on getting it up to $80 because they need that money to pay for their reforms in their economy? Do they still have the power to get it there? I think the short answer is yes. OPEC with Russia on board with them is a lot more forceful and effective than without Russia. So what they have been doing over the last couple of years, and uh, all indications are, at least from public commentary, that they plan on sticking with the plan and continuing with that momentum. Uh, $80 uh, is, is, is totally within reach yeah, now. I mean, yeah. we are uh, at the, uh, the, the international benchmark, which is the, the European Brent, the North Sea oil. It's, uh, I believe it's, 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 it's already uh, yeah. at $80, and we are steadily moving in that direction as well. Yeah. So it's likely that we may even go above that level. The question will be for how long, how pronounced and stiff the sanctions on Iran turn out to be, uh, how Europe behaves in that situation, how China behaves in that situation. So a lot is up for grabs, uh, and I think this source of uncertainty plus the evolving situation in Venezuela uh, is perhaps given us the best supply dynamic for oil than we have seen uh, for quite some time. Yeah. Now, what about the U.S. drillers, though? Are they, it seems like I've been looking at a lot of the earnings reports and a lot of them beat their production goals even for the first quarter. A lot have been raising their production guidance for the full year as well. Can that counter what is going on in the rest of the world? If, if you know, the Permian especially, because that's our big drilling location. But right. if, if that busts out again into, you know, new all-time highs, how yes. does that play in? Yeah, we are, I think everybody in the industry, myself included, have been surprised as to how strong the U.S. production is. Yeah. If we hadn't made the gains that we have made, particularly the Permian, as you pointed out, the OPEC cuts would have been a lot more effective. So uh, the fact that uh, Permian has literally been an oil gusher over the past year, just to give you a couple of stats, the U.S. production as a whole crossed the 10 million barrels a day level for the first time in February this year. And the expectation is that for the year as a whole, we will have 10.4, 10.5 million barrels. Next year, it's expected to be a million barrels higher. And uh, I read a projection from the uh, US, uh, U.S. government's EIA, which has always been very conservative, that by the end of 2019, Uh, we will have 12 million barrels a day. Now, even the 10 million barrels a day, which we are comfortably above at present, uh, is the highest U.S. production level in 50 years. So we are in record territory. A big part of that is what's happening in Permian. And the the interesting uh, factoid on that is that uh, even though, as you mentioned, that many of these companies on the Q1 calls and in their guidance for the rest of the year came out pretty strong in terms of production growth. They're not really going 
gung-ho in spending money no. and drilling holes. So right. uh, there's a lot of efficiency gains. The industry is getting smarter, more efficient, and uh, Permian production is, is, is totally off the chart. So had it not been for U.S. shale, uh, OPEC would have been a lot stronger and more effective. Okay. And then so our predictions from like a year and a half ago would have been true. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> when we said it would That's turn. Right. <laughs> yeah, let's let's talk about what the US companies are doing because on a lot of the calls I heard basically they're keeping their average price per barrel at about 55, maybe to 60. I heard a couple as high as 60 now, but that's what they're budgeting for. And as we know, so far, at least over the last couple of weeks, we've been well above that budgeting area. That's all just like extra cash, you know, coming in. So it sounds like they're being much more conservative so far. Like maybe they've been burned over the last couple of years. So this seems like a one of the more ideal times to want to be an energy investor. That's right. Yeah, the the, the, the dis- discipline we are seeing from the industry as a whole has the potential that the cycle could be more enduring and lasting. And uh, part of that is uh, the lessons learned, as you point out. There's been pressure from the market as well. The energy sector, uh, in terms of financial health, has perhaps the weakest balance sheets of all the major sectors. And you would recall that when oil was uh, 30 or below $30, one of the big worries in the market was the sub-segment of the junk bond that was related and open to the, the energy sector. In fact, on all the bank earnings calls, everyone would be asking how much exposure they had to the energy sector. So repairing the balance sheet has been a priority for management teams. Uh, And as long as that remains a priority, uh, we will be in good shape and the the sector and the industry will benefit from that as well. Okay, so let's get to the fun part of what everybody should be investing in now. Sure. Because I know in the past, as I mentioned earlier, we would be like, oh, go into, you know, the big integrateds because those were safer. They had the dividend, which they did not cut during the crisis, at least Exxon and Chevron didn't. And then there were some good service plays, but those shares continue to decline for a while now. And then it was basically the EMPs were too scary. Stay away from those. And then we never even discussed the refiners. I don't, right. I don't recall, or they were barely mentioned. That's right. So where, where should we be going now? So the most direct play for a positive or constructive outlook for oil prices are the E&P companies. Yeah, that's what I thought. Uh, because they are, the, they are the primary producers and the stock prices move up and down with the price of oil. These are the upstream players mm-hmm. uh, in the integrated company business. Typically, two-thirds of their earnings and cash flows come from the E&P business as well. So even if, okay. for example, you were looking at uh, a Chevron or an Exxon or a BP or a Shell, even with them, two-thirds typically of the, of the business is E&P. But you have, you have a ton of options uh, in the E&P space, and yeah. I'm sure you will share some of those uh, those, those those picks with uh, with your listeners. You have small caps, mid yeah. caps, large caps, dividend pairs, and extremely aggressive uh, kind of operators. Yeah. The only thing uh, that listeners need to be mindful of uh, is that E&Ps tend to be very volatile. 
and they will move uh, practically in sync with oil prices. So as right. long as you have the stomach for that kind of volatility, I think you will be fine. And, okay. and there's plenty of quality names in the E&P space. Uh, so yeah, let's talk about a couple of those because I did I did look around um, to see what was going on in there. There are a lot of names that nobody has ever heard of. At least most most of the listeners have never heard of. I've owned a couple of them off and on in various of my portfolios, especially the insider trader over the last three years, because the insiders that these companies have been buying as their shares have have plunged down. We've talked about that in the past, too. And some of them have been in the more obscure, smaller cap EMP names, but they've been diving in that area again recently. One of the ones is called Lone Star Resources. Most people have never heard of this That's one. Right. It's 175 million market cap. Right. So this is a this is a really small player. Right. The ticker is Loan L O N E. This is in the insider trader now because they've had a couple insider buys. Uh, about a month ago in April, the CEO bought some, and that's when insider trader bought it. And then just last week, okay, so they reported on May 14th. Then after the report, the CEO bought again, and then a director bought some more, even though the shares are up big. I actually bought some of this for my own portfolio. Um, I kind of like those. It was $5 sure. um, when all this insider buying was happening. So, But this is one of the ones that it's going to be super volatile. I mean, the shares are up year to date so far 54% That's now right. because it is moving with crude. That's right. But they, they released a great production guidance. So they're in the Eagle Ford shale right. in Texas. They have um, 58,000 net acres, so these are kind of the small guys. But their production for the first or for the second quarter, their production guidance is 82% higher than a year ago. And they're trying to reduce the debt, as you talked about. They talked a lot about that. They are spending this new cash flow that's coming in on reducing that. So they expect to continue to do that in the second quarter. But um, they're seeing much more active drilling in 2018. And then they raised full year production guidance, too, as we've been seeing. So this one is one of the smaller, really small players. So, But if you're interested in... That, uh, you know, this is the bare bones. When crude goes up, it goes Absolutely. up. Absolutely. I actually, I, I'll make a confession about Lone Star that about six to nine months back, one of our colleagues, John Knotts, okay. if, if I'll, I'll just, uh, just, uh, just, just name him, <laughs> uh, he asked for my opinion about Lone Star. I never know? heard of it. What? Yeah. I never heard of it. And he told me, um, this size yeah. uh, stock and it was two three dollars or something right. like that and I told him that has got to be a total speculative kind of <laughs> wild catering company yeah uh, but I'll take a look at it a couple of days later I did look at it okay. and I really liked it okay. and I told him for the size of the company and for uh, uh, typically the the profile of companies in that stock price level, uh, this is a fairly quality asset company. Okay. Um, and if I recall correctly, uh, I think they had some balance sheet questions. Yeah. Uh, they, they were they were planning to raise some capital, and they had some other class of uh, equity too, which could potentially get converted at the time. I'm uh-huh. not sure if that happened afterwards or not. But I told him all in all, if I'm a BP, if I'm uh, even a, a relatively this, these mid cap ENPs. And I wanted uh, Eagle Ford. I'll yeah. come in and just buy out somebody right. like Lone Star. So my my thinking was that perhaps in a year or so, if the outlook for oil was good, 
Lone Star will have been taken over. Okay. Maybe I should have John on the podcast next. So he has <laughs> Did been, he buy some? He, uh, <laughs> he, he actually owned some. Okay. And, oh, uh, okay. Every now and then he would tell me his stock is yeah. up this much and yeah. that much. So he's well, one happy customer. Yeah, that's good. He stuck with it too because yeah. it's, it's it is a real volatile that's one. That's right. Okay, so moving up the chain to like a mid cap, I looked around and I, I mainly looked at Zach's number one ranks, although Lone Star is not a number one, but for some of these names, because there are quite a few of the companies, sure. and so I was going off of where are the analysts raising those estimates. So uh, that led me to Wild Horse Resource Development. <laughs> You're shaking your head. WRD is the ticker. So they also beat production. They just reported their volumes were up 5%. They're in Eagle Ford as well, but they're also in northern Louisiana. So the analysts like them because they have this advantage with the Gulf Coast pricing that's happening right there. So they like that a lot. They're about 62% in oil. Their shares are up 45% year to date. So pretty nice jump there. I looked to see if any insiders were buying, but they haven't in about the last year. They bought in May 2017. Earnings expected to be up 290%, and wow. all those estimates are on the move higher since they were recent report as well. Their P is only 16 times, mm. so it's not so bad for sure. um, what's going on with these companies. And then I took a look at one that's even bigger, Anadarko Petroleum, which we I don't think we talked much about in the prior right. shows. APC is that ticker. Year-to-date, those shares are up 32%. That's a lot for one of, uh, you know, a big cap. This is one of the bigger guys. But they've been spending their cash flow giving back to shareholders. They're not increasing their drilling activity at this date. They're just trying to, um, you know, they're getting the balance sheet in order and giving back. So they have a $3 billion share repurchase program going on. They've already done 1.6 billion. They're going to do the rest, probably the 1.4 the rest of this year. And then they increase their dividend by like 400%. So that yield is now 1.5%. Very good. And um, things look pretty good with them too, but they're a little bit larger in the fact that they have some international drilling going sure. on. So if you're interested in that play, right. is, is Anadarko? Sure. So the so, so relative to the, the Lone Stars and the Wild Horses of the world, <laughs> yeah. and, and Anadarko is a far more conservative run in, in terms of the size 2 E&P. So it gives yeah. you all the leverage to the uh, to oil prices, uh, and it's a global player, so not just a U.S. operator. So it's one of those big, large cap E and P players. So it's like if you if you took a Shell or a BP or an Exxon and stripped out the refining, marketing, yeah. gas stations, uh, and just had the E and P business, you will you will be left with something like Anadarko, okay. which is which is if you have a positive outlook for oil prices and you have some tolerance for volatility uh, is the way to go for most folks. Okay. Now, what about Pioneer Natural Resources? That has always been one of your biggest, That's y- right. your your pick over the last couple of That's years right. in the bigger EMPs as well. That ticker is PXD. That's right. They're up substantially in the last couple of weeks as well, but do you still like them I as a I still like them, okay. yes. I still like them. Uh, if you ever see an opportunity for the stock pulling back, I think it's the the best way to get into it. It is kind of the same profile as Anadarko. Okay. It has a big Permian operation, Yeah. Uh, has plenty of hedges in place as well. 
There is some questions about Permian, as you and I were discussing offline earlier, that because of the growth in production and because of the limited, what they call is takeaway capacity, because pipelines haven't caught up with the right. amount of barrels that are coming off the ground, uh, some of the, uh, the Permian producers have to take prices that are much lower than what you could get at the Gulf Coast or in Europe. So the uh, Midlands grade of crude is selling at $10, $15 discount to okay. what WTI is trading at. So that's that's a negative for yeah. someone like Pioneer. Okay. But overall, it's, it's a very well-run company, has a clean balance sheet, very strong growth. Uh, I have always liked them, uh, and I continue to like them. Yeah, I did see this problem of the takeaway that you referred to when I was researching some of these EMPs. The analysts would definitely bring it up because yes. if they don't have the pipelines in place, they have to get it out of their, the region but to the refineries That's based right. on either trains or on trucks. That's right. And we were commenting before we went on that um, Bloomberg was talking about how they're actually paying the crude driver, truck drivers, who specialize in that because there, there's not many of them, um, especially with the downturn. They all went and got other jobs, as, sure. we, as we've talked about. But they're, the going rate now for one of those in Texas is $150,000 a year oh, wow. because they're so desperate to get the drivers. But could that impact too that there's no way to get it out of there even though they're getting it out of the ground so the the, the main economic rationale for the discount at which the uh the permian crude uh the pricing point for which is is the midland texas area is this lake of transportation so if it's going to take you a truck or a rail car to take it from midland to say the gulf coast or houston and it costs anywhere from $8 to $16, then that's how much you will pay less for uh, the crude that you're buying in Midland. Okay. And that's the reason for, uh, for, for, for the discount. Yeah. There, there's a number of pipeline projects that are uh, at different stages of completion, but nothing will come on board through the middle or late 2019. So the issue will remain okay. uh, for, for quite some time. Now, what about the service side? You you liked them the last couple of years, yes. and those shares, uh, at least in the big guys, kept plunging down lower, right. even though they had decent quarters there for right. several quarters in a yes. row. Is that a place that you could kind of find some value maybe? I think you could. The um, We have had uh, in the past smaller players, like I've mentioned with you in the past, uh, a Permian-based uh, oil field services company called RPC. It's kind of a small Halliburton, but I think you can't go wrong even with the large cap players like Halliburton. Halliburton has more of a North American footprint compared to like Schlumberger or Baker Hughes, which is now part of GE. So Halliburton, I like. Uh, I think it's a well-run company. It has a very good top quality product offering and service offering, uh, particularly in this area called pressure pumping. And I think that could, uh, that, that could work really good. Uh, I'm not sure if you plan on uh, asking about it or discussing it, Tracy, but uh, I do want to flag refiners as yeah, well. Yeah, I think we should. We should, yeah. So refiners, uh, we mentioned briefly the discount at which the Permian uh, produced oil is trading. 
So imagine a refiner uh, whose finished product, whether it's diesel, gasoline, or heating oil, uh, sells for the same price uh, as, uh, as, as, the, uh, as the version, as the product produced from any other grade of crude, uh, but the crude that you could process, uh, you end up or can buy it for $10, $15, $20 cheaper than your competitors that are at the Gulf Coast or at the East Coast or at the West Coast. Uh, and that's exactly what some of these refiners who have refining assets in close proximity to the Permian Basin. Okay. Uh, they're literally uh, just flush with cash uh, oh. until such time that the takeout capacity is put in place for Permian barrels to flow through to the Gulf. These guys will, will benefit. And one of the uh, best-placed uh, refiner uh, in that area is Dalek, Dalek Holding. Uh, it's a smaller refiner relative to the big players like Valero or Marathon Petroleum, uh, uh, but it's uh, the, the bulk of its refining assets are uh, in the Permian Basin, and it's really uh, a big beneficiary uh, of, of, the, of the discount at okay. which the Permian crude is trading right now. Do you know the ticker on that one? DK. Not, it is DK. Okay. That's helpful. Um, are, I know the refineries are usually pretty cyclical. Yes. But, so where are, are they at the bottom of the cycle here, kind of? It sounds like it. They have been very strong performers. In fact, of the year-to-date performer for the energy sector as a whole. So the Zach's energy sector is up 11.8% okay. uh, year-to-date versus the S&P 2.8%. Uh, and of all the sub-industries uh, within the sector, the best performer has been the, the refining industry, uh -huh. uh, refiners are up, the ZEX refining industry is up 23.5%. Uh, integrators are up 11.7%. E&Ps are up almost 10%. Drillers are up 14%. Uh, so refiners have been the sweet spot this year. Do you think that most of that run is over then? Or is there further upside? I think there is further upside. The outlook for the U.S. economy remains favorable, uh, and uh, uh, and I think the, uh, the the one uh, the one factor we mentioned about the uh, discount between the uh, uh, the uh, the Permian crude versus uh, the the regular U.S. benchmark, which is the West Texas Intermediate. Uh, and then we have to keep in mind that the Wex Texas Intermediate is trading at a big discount to the Brent crude too. So the U.S. refiners benefit from a cheaper crude relative to the European and other global refiners. And I think that trend okay. will continue for some time. Okay. Uh, one last thing before we wrap it up a, a bit. What should investors do about the big integrateds? It, I, I looked at year to date, they are lagging, they are yes. off their lows, yes. but I think Chevron's only up like one or 2% year That's to date right. and Exxon is still in the negative year That's to right. date. But as you said earlier, two thirds of their business is coming off of like the EMP type of business. That's but right. is should I, if I'm not in anything yet, should I really stay away from those plays? Uh, it's, it again goes back to your risk profile. Okay. Uh, the, the fact that the Chevrons and Exxons haven't really uh, gone up as some of the others have is a, is, is a, is a positive comment as well, meaning okay. they have more catch up to do. 
Uh, Chevron is a well-run company, has a lot more leverage. Most of the integrated gains have come from BP, Shells, and some of the other companies, and not from Chevron. Okay. Uh, they have good dividends, uh, growing yeah. dividends as oil uh, has uh, has rallied. Their cash flow and balance sheet positions have strengthened even more. So they'll start buying back their shares and, and grow their dividend. If you have the profile where you don't want your stock to be bouncing around a lot, <laughs> yeah. and you can hold it for a long period, I think Chevron and Exxon uh, are at good positions for those investors. Okay. For those that have more stomach for, for volatility, uh, and relatively more risk. I think the ENPs and the oil field services are the, are the place for them. Okay. Well, there's plenty of opportunities, sure. it sounds like, out yeah. there. So um, I'm sure we'll be back again uh, later in the year to discuss whatever else is going on. I mean, maybe we'll be back talking about $100 a barrel oil at that point. Who knows? Nobody knows, um, but it's certainly an interesting sector here sure. in 2018. So let's recap some of those tickers. There's quite a few this time. Uh, Lone Star, L-O-N-E. Anadarko is A-P-C. Wild Horse is W-R-D. Uh, the two integrateds, Exxon, X-O-M, Chevron, C-V-X. We mentioned uh, Pioneer, P-X-D. We have Halliburton, H-A-L. What's RPC's ticker? Do you know? R-E-S. Okay. I knew it was something different than, yes. than just RPC, right. which I don't know why they didn't go for I that. Know. Maybe someone else has that. I don't know. Um, so R-E-S for that one. Then we had Dalek. D-K. Which is DK. That's right. And is that everything? I think that's everything. That's, um, that's but so that's a lot of choices. So don't ever complain that I don't give you stock choices on this show. So be sure to get all of our podcasts here at Saks Market Edge. You can now find us on Spotify. So subscribe on Spotify so you don't miss these updates on the energy sector because we'll be back again with more. And you can also get us on iTunes and on SoundCloud. So be sure to subscribe so you don't miss a single episode. I'll see you again next time.